why I'm getting the special attention today. Uh, my brother John died Thursday morning, unexpectedly. He was in the hospital. He was being treated for leukemia. And, but they say it wasn't the leukemia that killed him, and it wasn't the chemo that killed him. They don't know why. Uh, so I think it's going to go down as natural causes. John was uh, less than a year different in age than me. Uh, we were pretty close, especially when we were little, not so much when we got older. But uh, uh, So the thought is, well, how can you be up there? How can you do this? I don't know. I tell many people, everybody grieves differently. And uh, I myself wonder what's wrong with me. <laughs> but uh, here I am. So I did make sure there are tissues up here. If I get a little emotional, bear with me. So, And by the way, there's an announcement that uh, I missed that I wanted to make. If some of you may have noticed a couple of real quality street signs out front. It said Trinity Bible Fellowship and it had an arrow pointing one way or another. I'm looking for a, a volunteer or two who did not go out yesterday. <laughs> I want to punish you by having you put those signs up. So I have a couple of post hole diggers in the back of my pickup and if you'd be willing to do that I can show you where we are approved to put them. I'll tell you one is down on Washington on 3rd and that points this way. The other is on 3rd and the highway pointing this way. So it points people right here to the church. So, Okay, um, we're in uh, 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. Uh, and we're not going to just read the whole things because there's just so much. But, you know, last week was a pretty good story. I think you'll agree with me on that. Uh, today's passage is another one that would make a really good action movie. It would just be be great. Uh, this story, we're going to look at a guy named Jehu, J-E-H-U. Pronounce it how you want. I'm calling him Jehu because it works for me. Okay. Uh, and he's one of these action stories. He starts out the story as a military commander in the Israel, Israel, Israelite army, and by the end, he is the king who has cleaned house in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he looks like a tremendous success, uh, except the question we have to answer is, is who he cleaned house for. You know, on whose behalf did he clean house? Because he did it in God's name, verbally, but as it turns out, he was only serving himself, and as a, as a result, he didn't gain much. So I am going to chapter 9, verses 1 through 29. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, here, he is becoming king in these passages. He starts out, this is another story with Elijah, or Elisha as kind of a cameo character in the story. And... Uh, so it starts out with Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. So that's as much of Elisha as we find in this story. Okay, and when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and, and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I will anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. Uh, so the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he came and behold, the commanders of the army were in council, and he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And, and he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house, and the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of the servants of prophets, the blood of all the servants of the Lord. And he goes on and explains it a little bit more. 
First of all, this is an unexpected anointing. Jehu did not see this coming. He was in council with other military commanders. I don't know if you call it, they, they would call him a captain. Some of your Bibles may say a captain. He's probably more like a, what we would call a general, you know, a commanding officer of some sort. Uh, and he was not seeking to become king. He was not saying, I am, guys, let's get together. I want to stage a coup and take over the nation. He, he was not that kind of a person. He was faithfully executing the duties he was supposed to have. He appears to be satisfied with the position he had. And, and when the prophet comes and pours oil on him, he tries to kind of dismiss it. As the story goes on, uh, uh, it says, uh, when Jehu came out, verse 11, to the servants of his master, they said to him, is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? <laughs> I love that. Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, you know the fellow in his talk. And they said, no, that, that, that's not true. Tell us now. And he said, well, thus he said to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. So he tried to dismiss it. He didn't come out and say, hey, guys, look out. I'm the new king. You know, you could, He didn't come out and try to make a big deal out of it. He came out and was kind of like, yeah, never mind. The guy's a nutcase. I mean, that's what he says. He's a mad fellow. He's a nutcase. Don't pay any attention to him. Uh, you know these guys. They just say things. They do things. Don't worry about it. And they said, they said no. We, we want to know. Tell us what he said. And so, so he tells them and says, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So he's trying to dismiss it. But his friends... Now Here's another reason I th I'm impressed by this guy. He's dismissing it. No, it can't be true. But his friends recognize the validity of it. He is, he is a peer at this table. He is, and, and from his viewpoint, he is sitting there among peers. But they look at him. And when this prophet comes in and says, you're the next king, they don't argue with that. They say, yes, you are, and we're going to make it happen. And they proclaim he is king. So, so it is an unexpected anointing. He's starting to become king. Okay, so then we start taking action, uh, verses 14 through 28. So thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. So Joram is the king. Now Joram, with all Israel, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned and, and to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazael, king of Israel. So we have these two places, Ramoth-Gilead and Jezreel. And if you're like me, those are just words, right? They're, they're names on a page. You recognize these seem to be places. Don't know what they mean. Okay, so, so let's set the stage a little bit. Here's the Jordan River, right? Here's Israel. Uh, on this side, and Israel actually extends to the east of the Jordan River as well. Well, Ramoth-Gilead is a town or a city on the very edge of Israel, uh, and, and so it's kind of an outpost, the first place the Syrians would come into, or one of the first places they would come into, and they were doing battle at Ramoth-Gilead to protect Israel. Now, you go uh, about 20 miles to the Jordan River, and another it's, it's basically 50 miles from Ramoth-Gilead to Jezreel, and Jezreel is in the middle of this place we call the Jezreel Valley. <laughs> okay, you go, okay, Steve, you're not helping me. Okay, so picture Israel. You know, you got your, your, your map of Israel runs north-south because it's a long, skinny nation. And, and there's this Mount Carmel over on, on the coast of, of uh, the Mediterranean over here. And, and the Jordan River runs here. And, and here's the Sea of Galilee, right? And the Jezreel Valley is, we know it better, by the way, by the name of the Valley of Megiddo because it's where the Valley of uh, Battle of Armageddon is going to happen. Uh, but it's more often in the Bible called the Valley of Jezreel. Jezreel, the town or the city, it, it basically it doesn't show up on most maps. It, it, it kind of faded out of sight. It's about 15 miles southwest, southwest of, of uh, 
Megiddo, and it's, it's just down this valley. And this valley, the, the, the Armageddon, is this valley. It's a huge, wide valley that cuts Israel across in a flat, passable way. Because most of Israel is not flat and passable. Most of Israel is really, really rough. It's rugged terrain. It's not an easy place to get across from one side to the other. But the Valley of Jezreel is a great place to get across. And so the city of Jezreel, like the city of Megiddo, is mounted on the hillside on the southern end of this valley, right? And so it's basically on a hilltop, and you look out, and you can see for miles and miles down the Jezreel Valley in either direction, right? And so that's kind of the geographic setting. And so what he did is he went from this place over here where there was war, he got injured, he's coming back for some R&R, &R, and he goes to Jezreel, and, and that's where he's located, okay? So, so you have that setting in mind. So he had returned to Jezreel to be healed of, of wounds he had, uh, so Jehu said, if this is your decision, he's speaking to, to uh, um, um, his, his friends, the ones who say, we'll make you king. He says, if this is your decision, then let no one slip, slip out of the city and go tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot, went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. So when it says come down, we think of down going south, but in their case, everything from Jerusalem was down. So he went north, he went down from Jerusalem to visit Joram. So there are two kings in this city of Jezreel. The king of, of Judah in the south and the king of Israel in the north. And they're both at Jezreel and Jehu is coming to town. And, and Jehu, uh, I, I, it's, it's just kind of, this, this is, gets to be kind of funny. Uh, now the watchman was standing in the tower in Jezreel and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and he says, I see a company, right? Because you can see miles down the road. Right? You can, you can, you're, you're on the hilltop, you got this long flat way, and he can tell way out there somebody's coming, I don't know who. And it's an interesting group, they don't make sense because there's enough of them to, to be visible and, and it's a, you can tell it's a company. It's not enough to attack a city. Uh, and so it doesn't seem like a threat, but it doesn't make sense. If it's just a messenger, you send one chariot. And so, so this group of people is coming and, and it doesn't make sense, uh, and, but, but, but I can see them coming. Uh, and Joram said, take a horseman, go out to meet him, say to him, is it peace? Because it didn't make sense. You couldn't tell by looking, is this peace, is it war? So a man on horseback went out to meet him and says, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what do you have to do with peace? Turn around, ride behind me. So basically, you know, you ride up to the commanding general on your horse. He's riding his chariot. You say, is it peace? He says, get in line, <laughs> you know, because he's the general. And you do it because he's a general. And if you are in the army and the general tells you get back there, you don't say, but I was told, you, you've always followed the last order. <laughs> and the last order from a general, you do follow. And so he gets in line behind him, and he's, now he's riding along. He doesn't know what's going on. Hey, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, he's talking to the guys next to him. What are we doing? I don't know, man. We're following, following Jehu. Okay, so, so the watchman reported saying, the messenger reached him, but he's not coming back. And turns out as we watch this, if he had tried to come back, he couldn't have come any faster. Now, then he sent out a second horseman who came up to them and says, thus the king has said, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what do you have to do with peace? Turn around and get behind me. So it's the same thing. He says, get in line, man. Get back there. Follow, follow me. Okay, again the watchman repeated, he reached him, he's not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives furiously. Now, how many of your Bibles say, like a madman? I love that. <laughs> he drives, he's a nut. He's a nut behind the wheel. He's, he's a spooky guy. You know, sometimes you see, we got passed by some people yesterday uh, coming, coming back from, uh, 
from camp. And uh, I don't know if Caleb was still in the car with me. It might have been uh, just Joshua. But I said, those guys are going to get a ticket. <laughs> and, and after they got a little bit far, because they were flying, you know, weaving in and out and doing all that kind of thing. And, and, and after a little bit, I said, yeah, I used to drive like that too. <laughs> that was back when I was a young man and got a lot of tickets. Uh, that's how I know they're going to get a ticket, okay, uh, if they don't get in a wreck. Right? And that's, what, that's how Jehu drives his chariot. He's a madman. He's racing that sucker through, through the, down the Valley of Jezreel. The thing about the Valley of Jezreel is, it's, Jezreel is it's wide and it's flat, and it's a great place to run a chariot flat out. And, and so that's what Jehu's doing. They're saying, only Jehu drives like that. All right? And so, so you can't see, you can't make out, you can just see some chariots. But that guy in front that everybody's trying to keep up with, <laughs> that's got to be Jehu. And they recognize that. So the two kings say, okay, well, that's Jehu. Let's go out and see him. Joram said, make ready. And they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out, two kings, uh, in his, each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace can there be as long as the whorings and sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? And, and the king said, uh-oh. <laughs> and he turned around and tried to flee. And Jehu goes, pop. Shoots him in a, in through the heart, right from the back, right through the heart, and uh, Joram flops out of his, his uh, chariot. And then he says, Ahaziah, for good measure, pop, shoots him. Ahaziah doesn't die immediately. He makes it up to Megiddo, and there he dies. Right? And so Jehu kills two kings, the king of Israel in the north, the king of Judah in the south. Uh, he kills both of them at this time. And, and uh, so things are moving pretty fast. And at this point, he is essentially king. Uh, and, and we go and we, I'd like to point out to uh, verses 25 and 26 here of chapter 9. Uh, he says, uh, Jehu said to Bidkar, his aide, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground that belongs to Naboth the Jezreelite. Now you may have recognized when I read the name Naboth, you may have said, hey, I know that name. Why do I know that name? That's the name of the man whose vineyard uh, Ahab or Ahaz coveted and who Jezebel killed to get. Okay, uh, Ahab, Ahaz is dead, but Jezebel's still alive, and this plot is still called Naboth's vineyard, right? They, they still recognize it as, as rightfully belonging to him. He says, throw him in the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now therefore take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. And so the reason this is significant is we find Jehu saying, I'm doing God's will, right? He, he, he looks at this, he says, see this? We're only doing what God wants us to do. That's what he's saying as he does these things. And he may be telling the truth, and he may not be telling the truth. Uh, and that's, that's what we're going to, as we fold out, we find out it's really, sometimes it's really convenient for you to follow God's word. Sometimes it's very convenient for you to do what God wants you to do. So let's jump ahead. Uh, Jehu cleans house. And I'm just going to summarize because we just can't read all this and talk about it. So I'm going to ask you, if you want to, to prove me a liar or prove me true, uh, you, can, you can read through this yourself. Verses 30 through 37, Jezebel is slain. They, they come into, come into uh, Jezreel. Je Jezebel is looking out the window, and, and she says something like, Oh, is that you, you murderer of your master? And he says, Hey, if you're for me, throw her out the window. Poof. 
You know, it doesn't take them very long to see who's winning this fight. They push her out the window, and he goes in and eats dinner. Uh, when he comes out, he says, you better bury her, and, and uh, it's too late because there's hungry dogs in the town. And, and when it's done, verse 36, uh, when they came out back and told him, he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And he goes on and says some more. It's gross enough, so I don't want to go into depth. But he's saying, it's the word of the Lord. We're fulfilling God's will. We're doing what God, and, they, and in fact, he is. He's accomplishing what God has prophesied. Uh, and then verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, we won't go into it. He, Ahab has 70 sons. I'm assuming he had more than one wife. Okay, <laughs> Ahab had 70, or not Ahab, but uh, Joram. Joram had 70 sons. And these 70 sons are living in the city of, of Samaria. So they, he sends down to Samaria. Was it Ahab? I don't remember. Ahab. Ahab had 70 sons. So these would be, be contestants to the throne. Right? They are other descendants of Ahab. They are contendants for the throne. And, and he is going to get rid of all. So he sends word to the city. He says, hey, here's what you do. You, you uh, anoint one of them king, and you come out and fight me. If you don't want to do that, then you kill those 70 sons of Ahab. And they look at each other, and he just killed two kings. I don't want to mess with him. So they killed the 70 sons of Ahab. And he rides up to town. He says, now this is your fault. You killed them. I didn't kill them. I gave you a choice. You could have fought for me. But now, you're, you're, uh, basically says, you're, you're behind me. And so he, he again, he destroys all uh, the, the, the line of Ahab. And then we read chap chapter 10. Verse 10. Um, let me find that number. Sometimes these numbers are small. Know then that there shall fall to the, to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and close friends and his priests, until he left None remaining. So again, he's claiming, he's, he's, he's throwing himself up as, I am this great servant of God. And then, verses 18 through 28, we'll skip a little bit, he goes that and he kills all the prophets of Baal. He calls them all together. He says, hey, we're going to have a great Baal sacrifice party. He doesn't tell them they're the sacrifice, right? And, and he brings them all. He puts it. We don't know how many. We aren't given a number. But he says he gathers all the prophets of Baal. And then he says they, he gets them all in this big temple of Baal. And he says, now look around. Make sure there's nobody here who's not a prophet of Baal. We don't want anyone else sneaking in. And they all get in there. He sends 80 men in with swords. He says, don't let one of those guys go. One of them goes, you die. So 80 men with swords went in, killed all the prophets of Baal, and thus he wiped out Baal worship in the land of Israel. Verse 28, chapter 10. Uh, thus Jehu, that's the word, thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. <laughs> so so he, this guy is on fire. I mean, this guy is incredible. He's doing all the things that needed to be done in Israel. He has become king. He cleans house. He is doing everything but but. That's not the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, we'd say, good king. Way to go. Verse 29. Or, yeah, 29 through 31. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebar, who, who, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done what to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. 
What we find about Jehu is he served God as long as it served, suited his purpose. As long as he could serve himself by serving God, he was glad to serve God. As long as he could make serving God uh, uh, work for him, it was a great thing to do. Fulfilling prophecy helped him get and complete his hold on the throne. I mean, by, by, by wiping out uh, the kings and by wiping out Jezebel and by wiping out all the kids of Israel, he consolidated his grip on the throne in a way, and he could say, I'm, doing, I'm just doing God's will, man. That's all I'm doing, and I have this thing. By, by wiping out the, the, the prophets of Baal, you know, that was probably a very popular thing by this time because Baal was this imported religion, and people don't do well. They want the religion of their heritage, which in this case, they didn't go back far enough. And so wiping out Baal was probably pretty popular with the people, and it also severed ties with the previous administration, right? It gave him a lot of freedom. But obeying God is not a part of his thinking. Now I'd like to flip New Testament to a couple different passages. The first one, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10 is in this passage. There's three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11 where Paul is uh, writing specifically about the situation the for Jew Jews in the church administration, right? Uh, in chapter 10, verses, uh, what did I say, 9 and 10, he's writing about the Jews and he says this. That's not what I want. <laughs> I wrote that down because it's habit. Those verses uh, just jump out to me. Um, Verses uh, 1 and 2. One, two. 1 through 4. Sorry, that's what I want. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know, it is easy to, to look at this and we see a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. And, and this zeal for God, not in accordance for knowledge, is, is to take this zeal and apply it in whatever way seems best to you. Jehu, I, you know, I think of him as a wild man. He was, he was a drove like a wild man. He was a wild man, right? In his thinking, in his actions. He just did what looked good to him, and he, when, when it was convenient, and it coincided with Scripture, he was able to claim that and use it and make a big name for himself and show everybody how he was doing God's will, when in fact he was not. He was, he was accomplishing God's will. I mean, that was the end result of what he did, but he was not doing God's will in the sense of he was seeking to serve God. And serving God is much more about your intent to serve and your obedience than it is about what you actually accomplish. Accomplishments are God's business. <laughs> Service is our business. Whether we accomplish what we desire to accomplish is an entirely different matter. He was great at accomplishing things because he was well, among other things, he had God's, he was accomplishing God's will. Uh, but his heart was not right. He was not in accordance with the truth. Uh, our call, our call for the day, our call from this is to obey God. Not to do great things, but to obey God. You know, Jesus in Matthew 16, 26, that's the other New Testament passage I wanted to read. This will sound really familiar or really appropriate, I think. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world but forfeit his soul? Well, 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 Jehu didn't gain the whole world. He only gained a nation. 
right? What does it profit a man if he gain a whole nation but forfeit his soul? Because that's what he did. He gained the nation and he forfeited his soul. The kingdom of, if, if, you, if you were to read ahead, you know, they always tell you in these books how long a guy ruled, you know, when he died, who became king after him, and whether he was a good king or bad king. And, and so the kingdom was of value for him for 28 years. From the time he became king, that kingdom was of value to him for 28 years. Now, that 28 years ended about 700 B.C. So it has not been of value to him so far for 2,700 years. You see the perspective there? Is, is the things of this world can seem so significant at the time while we are here, but they are trivial in light of how long we will be around. Uh, the things of this world are trivial. Jehu served God, sort of, kind of. It looked like he was serving God, but he was serving Jehu. And Jehu did not gain what Jehu needed uh, by doing that. So the call to you today is, is let God be God and truly serve him. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, I, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I do thank you that you can work through sinful people to accomplish what you, you want, especially, Lord, if we're the ones you're using. But, but Father, I pray for each of us that we don't merely accomplish your will by what we do, but that we accomplish your will by who we are, by our personal faith placed in you. Let us walk as your servants. Father, I do ask that you would accomplish great things through us. But Father, let the first thing be in our hearts and let us be true to you. We pray in Jesus' name.